Daddy left no goodbye letter With no pistol on his grave In the backyard on the blacktop Where he left them good old days Guess I'll meet you in the Good morning, good morning, good morning. Little Parker McCollum, meet you in the middle, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you so much for sharing a part of your week with me. There is no place I'd rather be than right here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. So thanks again for being here. We've got a great show lined up for you today, one that I am certainly excited about, and I will tell you all about it right now so pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos the one granddaddy passed down years ago because we are ready to rock and roll and off the top we joined by meat eater fishing editor sam lundgren uh i don't know about you guys and gals but ceviche is something that i really enjoy and I'll make it with a red snapper or I'll make it with a striped bass out of Lake Texoma. But you hear these inherent risks about eating raw fish, especially uh, more so when you talk about eating freshwater fish, right? But is that actually accurate? There's a lot of information out there, some misinformation. Sam has researched it in depth, has actually visited with uh, an epidemiologist who is much more uh, well-versed on the topic than either of us, but uh, Sam will regurgitate some of that information for us here today. You might be surprised that uh, saltwater fish are carrying a lot of bacteria and uh, parasites as well, and yet we eat that all the time in the form of uh, sushi, sashimi, things of that nature, uh, things I'm a big fan of, right? So interesting stuff coming up with Sam nonetheless, and then after that, We'll spend a couple segments checking in with our good friend, Mark Boardman, VP of Marketing uh, for Vortex Optics. We might talk a little spring black bear, uh, turkey, but I know for sure um, there's an Alaskan draw hunt for black bear that you might not be aware of. That's right, open to you and I. Mark has drawn that tag a couple times, so he'll shed some light on that. And then the, uh, the latest and greatest from Vortex Optics. They've got some... Really cool stuff coming down the pike here in 2020. Things that uh, I think you're going to want to take advantage of. And a huge discount being offered right now by Vortex as we are in the middle of this uh, global pandemic. And they're trying to give back. So uh, we'll get into the nature of that program as well. Uh, That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. I'm certainly looking forward to it. You know what we need to do at this point, though, is a quick giveaway uh, from our friends over at Vortex Optics. Why not? We've got a Vortex cap and a Vortex Nation Texas shirt uh, that we will be giving away here. And uh, to enter to win, and by the way, these are exclusive Vortex Nation Texas shirts. I'm the only one that has any, and I have a lot of them. Uh, But here's what you do. Just email the word... We haven't done this one in a while. How about uh, 243? Because uh, I like that caliber. How about 243 to Lone Star 
outdoorshow at gmail.com. And we'll get you entered into this week's Vortex giveaway. Let's take a break. Up next, we will take a look at the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts of consuming raw fish from both fresh and salt water. Meat Eater Fishing Editor Sam Lundgren joins us next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. My first rifle was a 243. And Papa gave Daddy and Daddy gave to me. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6.5 to 7.5-year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com. Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. fall in love some do it for the money some say it comes from up above i got a girl who's really crazy for me she said it's something about a small town fashion thing it ain't my boots or my cowboy hat now my baby loves me for my pearl snacks there's a little Double D, Daryl Dodd, Pearl Snaps, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks to Lone Star Beer, our longtime presenting sponsor. Thanks to you for being here. We've got an interesting topic for conversation to get into coming up here momentarily concerning consuming raw fish, uh, both from the ocean and from freshwater sources as well. I, for one, enjoy eating both raw depending on what it is, uh, maybe that's not so smart. Maybe it's not that big of a deal at all. Uh, Sam Lundgren will join us momentarily to shed some light on the topic as he is uh, much more well-versed in that area than I am. So looking forward to having Sam jump on here in just a second. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by Vortex Optics and the new Ranger Impact 1000 rangefinder. This compact unit offers features bow hunters will love like angle compensation and ranging as close as five yards and the power that uh, long range guys need as it can get out to a thousand yards as well. It's the Impact 1000 coming in at uh, MSRP of 269 So check that out. Vortex Optics, the force of optics. With that being said, let's bring on our first guest. Uh, he is the, like I said, fishing editor for Meat Eater, really a jack-of-all-trades. He does a lot of stuff over there. It's my pleasure to welcome Sam Lungern to the show. Yeah, yeah, great to be here. 
So what uh, what's biting up in Montana this time of year? Mostly trout. Uh, yeah, the 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 trout fishing has been spectacular lately, and and kind of unfortunately, that's most of what we got going on here around Bozeman. Um, probably a little early on the bass, but I'm hoping the crappie bite turns on here sometime soon. I'm trying to get out east and fish crappies and hunt turkeys in the next couple weekends. But yeah, mostly trout. That's that's the big game in this part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, and, and do you guys? I know you have smallmouth. Do y'all have largemouth up there? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean largemouth uh, is king it, in my part of the world. You know, it's like. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> it's religion yeah, it's, it's down here. Under the radar, but Montana has some uh, spectacular largemouth fisheries as well as smallmouth. Um, it's it's kind of few and far between, but uh, people get some pretty big fish, like hmm. surprisingly big. So, what is a big largemouth in Montana? probably like nine pounds okay right on yeah i've uh yeah i mean it's not a big big fish as far as texas goes but on the northern tier anyone that catches a nine pounder and is doing backflips is insane yeah so i uh yeah i caught a 10 2 3 and like my biggest bass before that was like a 6 9 and i caught this just at a little community pond like i had flipped in there and caught (laughs) two really nice crappie in a row on a plastic worm it was that they were spawning and i pitched it back in there a third time and i thought it was a catfish the way they, I mean, it just didn't even move it was like a stump huh. and then i saw it jump and i was like oh lord please please let this happen for me and uh and he did <laughs> so, and uh it, i had to tie that damn fish up though and drive to cabela's and buy a scale so i could come back and weigh it because <laughs> I didn't know how big it was. I know that the the bass fishing uh, purists out there are probably grimacing, but I don't care. Had to know. Had to make yeah. sure it was bigger than my dad's biggest, you know? Well, those bass fishing purists are always putting them in their live wells, so what's yeah. the difference? Yeah, exactly. Sam, what is your actual job description with Meat Eater? Ooh, uh, that's, that's – uh, my job description has certainly changed a lot since I started there. Um, my job title is fishing editor. But my uh, primary responsibilities are running our website content surrounding fishing and conservation. But I also write articles around fishing, conservation, hunting, and culinary. Um, I'm a pr- assistant producer on our TV show, Das Boat. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been involved with a lot of our other shows, uh, pretty much all of our podcasts. Uh, some of our book projects. Um, so jack I'm of all trades, writer and editor, but jack of all trades. Yeah. Okay. We all we all wear a lot of hats, and it's fun that way that we all we all have kind of our our specific areas of expertise, but we all dabble across the board, and it's a really cool group we've got there, and leads to a lot of really lively conversations and and debates in the office. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. But unlike most of the meat eater team you already lived in montana you know when steve moved the operations up there he he recruited a bunch of people but you've been there a while yep that initial push to bring together an editorial team i was one of the one of the first there and i was definitely one who was in montana i was living in uh, missoula for the better part of the last decade but i moved over to bozeman for to take this job but uh miles nolte had been montana even longer than i have Hmm. he's the director of fishing yeah, but yeah. Ben O'Brien moved up from Texas. Spencer Newharth came over from South Dakota, and Callahan up from Idaho, and all that. Oh yeah. 
What I wanted to talk about today specifically is whether or not it's safe to consume raw freshwater fish. We all know the risks are far less, it, one would think, with saltwater because everyone eats sushi, right? I mean, a large percent of, percentage of the population eats raw fish and oysters. Um, I certainly love it. Um, but I was watching, uh, Steve was uh, doing a, I guess it was kind of a sashimi preparation of some yellowtail that he had speared, and he mentioned that you had an article on uh, consuming raw freshwater fish. And as someone who, I mean, I don't mind making ceviche out of, my favorite is like striped bass out of Lake Texoma. Um, oh, I bet that's good. Oh, I fished Texoma when I was a kid. That's you, cool. you did? Yeah. Oh, man, it's a great yeah. striper fishery. And uh, and oh, one of yeah, only five, on. one of only five uh, landlocked bodies of water where the, the striped bass actually reproduce naturally. So it's a... Oh, no kidding. Yeah, cool tidbit there. Interesting. Um, but yeah, so I, it's a great fish. It's, you know, it's firm. You've had it, I'm sure. And, and, and so I'm like, this yeah. is going to be great with ceviche and it is. And I posted on social media and people immediately like, Oh, congratulations on the worms. Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not that big of a deal, but, um, every time, man, every time Yeah. <laughs> you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I went in and read your article and then, um, thought we, we could have an interesting conversation on this. And you spoke with um, a uh, Dr. Tim Sly. He holds a PhD in um, epidemiology. Uh, you interviewed him for the article, um, and I found a lot of what he had to say fascinating because, you know, I, I guess saltwater fish are actually carrying more parasites and dangerous bacteria and toxins than the freshwater fish that one might consume. Yep. Yep. That's what he told me. Um, and I came across him just, you know, doing a deep dive rabbit hole internet search about this stuff because, you know, I, I wanted to write this, this article for the same reason that you just mentioned, because I had just been out with, out fishing with my previous boss, Lantani, who's the CEO of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Mm -hmm. And he, he and I have been doing this for years where we do trout ceviche, like on the river and just eat it for lunch. And it's, it's just fabulous. Oh yeah. But every time we do it, you know, you end up, it's so, it's so pretty. You end up wanting to post a photo or something. People are always like, you're going to die. I'm like, well, I've done this a lot of times. I'm and still I'm, here. I'm still here. <laughs> so I, I should, I should actually look into this. Like maybe I'm making bad decisions. Maybe I shouldn't be suggesting that other people do this if it's not safe. So I started to dig into it and the superficial look, really corroborates what everyone said. Like the first thing that'll come up if you Google, like is it safety freshwater fish raw is an article from vice news. That's like that, that like the headline is like, if you eat freshwater fish raw, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. It's so, you know, it's just sensationalist bull from, an, uh, from a publication that knows nothing about this topic or, you know, doesn't care probably. But yeah. then I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and found Tim Sly on this website called Quora, where scientists answer questions from people. Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of it before, but uh, I found it very interesting for a lot of uh, things since then. And uh, and and saw him, you know, from an actual background in, in foodborne illnesses talking about, well, no, I mean – most of these things are, are not that dangerous. I mean, that's why you don't hear about people dying from sushi all the time. Mm 
Um, yeah, I went and when I read your article, I went and just like surfed a couple random forums and, and got and looked at what people were saying. Like half of them literally thought you were going to die. Like seriously. Yeah. Like you're going to die if you eat raw freshwater fish. But uh, it's just mind blowing. Well, yeah, and it's you know it's 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 just kind of that that groupthink mentality that's leading people to you know try to drink Clorox and stuff right now to get rid of the coronavirus because they heard it might work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, these things get perpetuated without somebody, you know, announcing to the, the broader world, that's not really that true. And I'd like to caveat this up front by saying that uh, eating some freshwater fish raw could make you very sick. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not a purely safe thing across the board. Like, you know, the, 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 the things that, that can, um, make you ill from eating fish of from any type of water um, are are situational and 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 based in like specific locations. So I mean I want to get that out front that like people shouldn't go start eating you know flathead cats straight out of the lower Mississippi you know just raw on top of rice. Like I don't know if it's going to make you sick, but I don't expect that those fish are the cleanest in the world being downstream of so much pollution running out of the eastern side of the country um but you know in in many instances what i found is that freshwater fish have a lower incidence rate of parasites so those are like nematodes cestodes and trematodes what other what uh you know, in layman's terms might be called roundworms, flatworms, and uh, flukes. Mm-hmm. But those, those are, you know, a lot of times biologists know where those are and have a pretty good pin on it. And in the places where those aren't, you're probably not going to have a big problem. And something I got from Tim Sly is that many of us probably have ingested fish tapeworms that weren't fully killed. Hmm. And it didn't cause any effect. Right, right. Well, so that's that's another that's another thing. Like we're ingesting bacteria and bad stuff all the time, but if you're healthy, it generally is, your body's just going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only time that I've actually ever seen a parasite, like in fish that I had pulled out of the freezer, was going to cook. My, my friend Jeff Bynum, he had brought me some halibut from Alaska, and I cooked it, oh, yeah. and, and I didn't see these things until I'd cooked it. And the, the, you know, once the the flesh was like that, you know, that white, nice color that turns once you've uh, baked it or whatever, then I could see these orange worms in it that were all like an inch long. And I was like, nope, in the trash it goes. They're just, it probably wasn't going to hurt me because it was cooked, but I just couldn't stomach eating, you know, visible parasites. And I wonder, I wonder what those were actually. I don't know. I'd put money on the on a bet that those were um, the Anisakis mm-hmm. nematode roundworms. They're in almost all saltwater fish. Uh, I, I used to work on commercial fishing boats in Alaska for uh, quite a while in college, um, and I don't think I've ever cut up a halibut without seeing any of those. Uh, I've seen a lot of flounder that are like completely infested with them and like lumpy from it that I, you know, probably wouldn't eat simply because they're just kind of gross looking. But, 
Yeah, halibut have those all the time. You see it all the time in salmon. Pro pretty much any uh, is fairly likely to be carrying those. Yeah, so those are those are just all over the place in, in many of the species we eat as as sushi. They're they're pretty easy to remove too. Like you know, especially in halibut because it's so translucent before mm-hmm. it's cooked. A lot of people will hold up a piece of halibut to the light. And and then that will then like the shadow of the worm will show up and you can just pretty easily cut it out. You can also just eat it once it's cooked. And frankly, you can eat it alive if you wanted to. Most people don't do halibut as sushi, but obviously tuna and salmon are very common. Mm-hmm. Both carry Anisakis, uh roundworms. Most people don't even notice it. The reason being is those worms are adapted with um, marine mammals as their ultimate hosts. So fish are the intermediate host where it grows, and then they're meant to wind up in the stomach of a walrus mm. or a sea lion or a porpoise or something like that. And then and that's what they're actually adapted to infect. So a human is a dead end. Um, they can proliferate in your stomach, but then they can't do anything. So you may have like a bout of indigestion and then it's over. And so that was probably a parasitic worm infection from eating fish. But most people are just like, oh, my stomach was a little upset. Uh, It's very rare that people die from it, but it can be bad if people with compromised immune systems, compromised health. Mm -hmm. Uh, One um, interesting fact I came across in this research was that something like a quarter of appendicitis diagnoses in Japan are actually anisakiasis, the disease from those roundworms. So it's so common there that, you know, people just, you know, often think it's appendicitis and, and then find out later that it's these roundworms. Wow. Um, Japan is the only like developed nation that doesn't freeze its uh, sushi, uh, sushi grade fish. It's like a purity thing. But it's well, like this was, and this is interesting because ubiquitous I, in that culture. Yeah, and I never knew that um, these restaurants, like required by the FDA to um, freeze sus- uh, sushi and sashimi grade fish for what forty eight hours at negative four degrees Fahrenheit before they can serve it. Yep, I never knew that. That's fascinating. Yeah, huh. yeah. yeah, I thought so too. Um, but I think it's just kind of built into the. You know, the whole food just, you know, delivery system that we have. Well, that's to uh, kill parasites. So that's why they're that, doing it. I think it. it's being yeah. frozen like that, not in necessarily in the restaurants, but by, probably by the um, the processing facilities mm-hmm. at the outset and then being kept extremely cold until it's ready to be served. Hmm, interesting. Um, let me do this. Um can we work in a quick break here? Are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Yeah, of course. Good deal. And that segment of the show was proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. I was talking with second-generation owner Zach Gates the other day. I said, Zach, what products do you want me to hit on for the next month or so? And uh, he said, you know what, Cable, don't even hit on a specific product. Just let your audience know that All Seasons Feeders and Blinds are manufactured in Texas. They're American-made. They're not that crap made in China. Uh, so support American, support All Seasons Feeders. You can find their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll continue the conversation with meat eater Sam Lundgren after the break. 
for the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Rattlesnake Brigade. I went for the killing, but that rattlesnake bit my hand. Hey guys, Cable here to remind you that if you're looking for a handheld thermal monocular, Pulsar's got two great options the Helion, uh, which was my favorite for a long time, and then the Axiom as well, which a little more compact, uh, about the size of your cell phone, fits in your pocket. And at $1,459.99 has the price tag to match. But still got all the great features you love from Pulsar. And get this, when you use my promo code Pulsar underscore PL, you'll get 20% off your order. That's right, 20% off when you check out at PulsarNV.com. Hey everybody, this is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you listen to my good buddy Cable Smith with the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Seems like every time I turn around, somebody's trying to knock me down. I don't have any tricks left up my sleeve. I said, lucky that ain't nothing new. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little Cody Canada there for you today. Skyline Radio, love that tune. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, we are visiting with Meat Eater Fishing Editor Sam Lundgren uh, discussing the possible consequences for consuming raw fish, both from freshwater bodies and the ocean. I like them both. I'm not going to lie. Sushi is about uh, as good as it gets. Sashimi, just a little soy sauce, fresh red snapper on the boat. Maybe a pinch of lime juice. Mm. My goodness, that is tough to beat. Uh, but might be uh, bad for you, right? I mean, there are parasites, and we're discussing those today uh, with Sam. We'll pick it back up with him momentarily. This segment, however, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land the one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it, whether that's for hunting, uh, fishing, uh, recreating, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city. You want a social distance. Well, that's a good place to do it. Uh, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Let's jump back into it here with Sam Lundgren. Uh, Sam, thanks for sticking around. I want to discuss some of uh, Dr. Sly's points a little bit further here. And regarding cestides, that's a, a tapeworm, and they can cause a condition that can become quite serious, and it's called dip um, something. I'm going to let you pronounce it because I'm, I'm going to butcher it. But uh, expand a little bit on, on what they do to the human body. Defibrialysis. Okay. No, that wasn't quite it. It's something along those lines. a lot But this is a condition resulting from an infestation of, of tapeworms. You mentioned one dude in California actually pulled a five-and-a-half-foot tapeworm out of his rear end, and he, he had a mm -hmm. daily habit of eating salmon sashimi. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, you know, and that's, that's what I'm trying to say with all of this is, like, it's like, no, it's not purely safe. But, like, that's not really why we wild fish and game, like, you know, we can go get FDA-approved meat at the grocery store that we know is going to be safe. But, you know, 
it, so it's I, I would I would guess I haven't read about that in a while, but I I would suspect that um, he had some sort of compromised health that allowed those worms to proliferate in a in a different way than mm-hmm. it normally affects people. But it certainly can happen. And in like my personal experience, I've seen lots of salmon that had uh, tapeworms or roundworms. I'm not sure which because mm-hmm. um, I didn't really know enough about this back when I was doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, you know, these, these worms can get in into your body, but it's extremely rare that people die from it. It's also, you know, it's it's extremely catchy that this one thing happened because it was that one person. You know, this doesn't show up all the time when people eat salmon sashimi every day, every day. I had it last (laughs) week, Um, you know, at a restaurant, you know, we we understand now that that's different. But I've also had it just raw on the deck of the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I'm still here. So, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, not not without not without its consequences, but like you know, as as Steve loves to talk about, like you know, he he got trichinosis from eating bear. Mm-hmm. That didn't stop me from eating bear. Uh, I'm a little bit more cautious about it now than I once was, but you know, yeah, that oh, happens. There's nothing better um, down in my part of the world, off the Texas coast. Red snapper is my favorite. Yep. But, but but I think Tim Sly would say that 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 red snapper is more li- more likely to infect you with a parasite than the than the striped bass is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we talked about ceviche. That's what you and Land would do with trout uh, in the backcountry, mm-hmm. and and that's my favorite you know preparation for the striped bass. Like I told you, uh, I think it's important to note, however, as you mentioned in the article that. Giving fish a you know fish chunks a bath in extremely acidic fruit juice does not actually cook it nor kill potential parasites. Yeah, that's something I've I've told a lot of people since doing this that they're like, oh, it gets cooked in lime juice. I'm like, no, it's not. Right. It's not cooked. It looks like it's cooked. It does, but lime juice does not kill bacteria. It does not get rid of pollution or heavy metals and it does not get rid of parasites sure i mean it's 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 extremely acidic it probably does kill some bacteria it probably it probably renders some parasites ineffective but but like when people say it's cooked it's because it looks cooked and 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 what's actually happening there is that 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 acidity is denaturing the protein and, and, and making it turn white. So it has it has a similar effect as heat other than killing off potential toxins hmm. and yeah. bacteria. Well, what, uh, what other ways, or if there's been other ways, have you prepared raw freshwater fish? Because I, I haven't. I've just done ceviche. I've done basically what Steve did with the with those yellowtail uh-huh. in the video you referenced where he did like, I think it was like Louisiana hot sauce, soy sauce and lime juice, which is, you know, same idea, but yeah. much different effect, obviously with all that additional salt and heat. Mm-hmm. Um, I have done that since then with freshwater fish. Um, but I mean, it's the, it's the same idea. I, 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 
man, I want to say I've probably taken a a bite out of a trout that wasn't cooked, hmm. but I can't really put my finger on when. It just seems like something I would have done right <laughs> in my younger years. <laughs> yeah, um, and I've certainly I've certainly um, undercooked a lot of freshwater fish where it probably didn't reach the desired internal temperature just cause I, you know, I, trout uh, just aren't that good if you overcook the flesh. And so I'm often trying to keep it pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I mean, in, in, in like camps fire situations, you know, where you try to spit a trout over a fire can work really well if you're like, trying really hard but also if you're not really paying attention you end up burning the crap out of the outside and the inside's still cold and i've eaten plenty of trout that were like that and um yeah i've done one time i kind of felt a little sick the next day you did eating some undercooked (laughs) trout but i'm guessing that was more of a bacterial situation than anything it's also worth mentioning that like you know our our gut biomes especially as americans are just really not as as robust and developed as many other places in in the world. Like you look at Mexico. I was just reading about this recently that um, you know, but before recent times, whenever you go to Mexico, people would always say, "Don't drink the tap water," and people still would, and they'd get really sick. Mm-hmm. But all the Mexicans are drinking the tap water, so it's not something that's inherently wrong with the tap water. It's just that our 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 American guts are so used to eating and drinking just the cleanest stuff that has no viruses, no bacteria, no bad things. And so we're not ready for it. We're not, we're not just Montezuma's revenge. uh, Exactly. Exactly. Montezuma's revenge. So there's, there's cultures all over the world that eat a variety of, of fresh and saltwater fish raw or extremely you know, minimal cooking, definitely no freezing, um, and handle it all right. Whereas, you know, our coddled, um, intestines probably would reject it simply because we haven't built up the right, you know, gut bacteria to handle it, but also the, you know, the antibodies to deal with some viruses that may be present. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's not likely to kill you, but it might make you, if your gut rejects it, it's it's going to let you know, and it's coming out one way or one end or the other, probably pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> you know, I think that's, you know, that's that gets into a whole bigger discussion about, you know, our about just the way we eat, and um, you know, I, I think you hear doctors all the time say like, you know, have your kids eat dirt, so they develop you know, strong immune systems and don't get allergies. And I mean, obviously not eating dirt, but you know, that the way we develop resistance to all toxins, whether it be bacteria or viral or parasitic is by interacting with those things. So Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, people want to be more comfortable eating that kind of stuff. They've got to introduce their stomach to it and not give up if the first time they try eating striped bass ceviche and they, they get a little, a little queasy and it's like, you know, you're, 
your stomach's learning how to adapt to it. It's not going to kill you. And it's probably not a good reason to not try it again because your stomach is likely to perform better the next try. I've never had an issue with it. Uh, so I'm not too concerned, but you know, I love uh, crappie and walleye catfish, both large and smallmouth bass. But, and this is just my opinion, but I think the reason why we don't eat them raw more uh, is because the texture just isn't as nice to work with as, you know, as some of the saltwater species. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, they're all great fried and baked and everything, but they're not, they're not that firm. They're not, you know, steak-like and, uh, I think, I think that if they yeah, were, I think we would eat them raw. Texture like tuna. Yeah. Yeah. What about mercury, uh, levels and, uh, in freshwater fish? One of, one of my favorite saltwater fish steaks comes from the, the kingfish or king mackerel. Uh, we catch a lot of those on the Texas coast and, and my buddies that are from the coast, they kind of turn their nose up at grilling, uh, a kingfish steak. And they, they were like, Oh, those are so full of mercury. I don't know if they are or not. I love them on the grill. Uh, but are there freshwater uh, species, or maybe it's not even a species thing. Maybe it's um, just a, a regional deal where there's higher. The waterway thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, in my understanding, I don't know about the kingfish, um, so I can't speak to that. But I, in my understanding, high mercury levels are far more prevalent in freshwater fish than in saltwater fish because they often come from an industrial uh, pollution and, and mining waste. Like I went to college in Spokane um, and our campus is right on the Spokane river. There are signs everywhere saying like, don't eat more than one fish per week out of the river because the mercury, mercury levels, which makes you think like, well, shit, maybe I shouldn't be eating any fish per week out of the river. But you, <laughs> right. see, you see that all over the place. And it's often in urban fisheries. And it's often related to um, mining waste because, you know, mercury is, is used in, in a lot of gold mining and, and things like that. Um, mercury, uh, you know, is, is, one, is one of those toxins. It's a, you know, it's a heavy metal and it stays in a fish's system and, uh, and accumulates. But it also bioaccumulates, which means that five bluegill get a little drop of mercury in them and then a catfish comes along and eats those five bluegill now he's got five drops Mm. of that and then five catfish do that and then a big pike eats all those catfish and then it's got 50 Mm. you know grams or drop whatever of of mercury i'm probably doing a bad job explaining this no 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 i think you're bioaccumulation you know it's a larger predator it's the same thing that happened with like ddt and eagles that the that the 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 pollution was getting into fish in small amounts, but then when eagles eat a whole lot of that fish, and then all of a sudden it's large amounts and it's killing them, and and making their eggs weak, um, and cracking. So you know this the the mercury poisoning has a, a larger effect on older fish and predatory fish. So that's something people need to keep in mind. Um, but mercury. Uh, warnings are very common throughout the country. They're often very well posted. They're often better posted than fishing regulations simply because it's kind of a public health concern. Um, I don't really know of anyone who's gotten mercury poisoning. I don't, from, I don't either. I mean, yeah, I think some of it's common sense, article. right? Like the, the 
two yeah. crappie that I caught right before I landed that double digit bass. That was in a, you know, that was a two miles from my house in, in, in a city. I wasn't going to eat those crappie. You know, everything I was catching was catch and release. And there's no sign that says catch and release only. You just, if you're in the middle of an urban setting, why are you going to even, why would you want to eat them? You know? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I would, I would suggest that, you know, some people would want to eat them because they might not have another source of, of fresh fish. Um, we, we actually ran an ar- another article on this that I could send you. Um, I think it was from our, our author, uh, Pat Durkin. Um, I, and it was called eat fish, die happy. Hmm. Uh, and he had a great quote from Parker Hall, who's, uh, Steve's buddy who, who Steve did the, the catfish and squirrel episode with on season eight. And I've talked to Parker about this too. And he's like, you know what, man, if, if I, if I die a little early from the mercury I'm ingesting from eating all these catfish, then so be it. You know, (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll die happy because I knew that I knew that I had a great time catching all these fish and feeding my family and it was rewarding and positive and I really don't think that it's it's going to influence me that that negatively and again he's still kicking um so I don't think it's really that well understood you know how exactly how many fish you'd have to ingest to really run into a problem with mercury but I think Pat uh digs into that article and again I'd be happy to send that one to you yeah absolutely and and I'll be honest, I don't know how many times you eat fish a week anyway. It's probably one, maybe, for me. Um, so, yeah, at best. Yeah. I just don't see how the mercury thing yeah, is. Yeah, we, we most, like I said, we mostly have trout fishing around here. And to be completely honest with you, I don't like eating trout that much unless yeah. I'm camping. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I just, a lot of times, like, I'll come home from fishing and be like, oh, crap, I need to think of something to eat tonight. I'm like, I should have kept that trout. But it's just a kind of a knee-jerk reaction to let them go when you unhook them. <laughs> Which is totally... But again, yeah, you'd ha- I, I, I think the math works out that you would have to eat a lot of fish from really polluted water to run into an, an actual issue with mercury poisoning. Yeah, interesting. Well, so I guess the real takeaway here is, you know, I'm not going to stop eating raw freshwater fish. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're going to either, and it doesn't seem like it's really any more dangerous, maybe even less uh, hazardous than consuming raw saltwater fish, which we already talked about. The whole world does it on a you know grand scale anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So just kind of wanted to uh, dispel that myth today, and I certainly <laughs> enjoyed the conversation, man. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me on, um, and. Again, I want to tell people that, like, you know, don't come crying to me. If if you get sick, you really should talk to biologists about any parasites they know about or or pollution in the waterway you're planning to eat a fish from first. I, I haven't always followed those those rules, but it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just you never you never know, and there are some things that can make you sick, but by and large, if you're in a pretty pristine ecosystem like we often are trout fishing here in montana it's really uh it's really a great experience to just give those trout a a a quick lime bath with some cilantro and onions and eat it with chips it's just nothing better than that you know 
this makes me think about I've done quite a few boundary water uh, trips up in on, Ontario. And mm, cool. you can drink the water directly from the lake there, you know, in those remote yep. lakes where you're portaging, you know, eight, ten miles in. You don't even have to worry about purifying it. So if it's that, if the water's that clean, I'm thinking those fish are probably phenomenal to eat raw. Um, oh, absolutely. Smallies. You could probably take a bite out of them while they're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, man, if you want to give us your uh, your social stuff so folks can follow along and see what you've got going on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's at Sam Lundgren Media. That's L-U-N-G-R-E-N. Um, that's Instagram and Facebook. I'm just Sam Lundgren. Cool but, deal. Yeah, but look me up on the Meat Eater site because i got stuff like this coming out every week. Awesome, man. Well, I certainly appreciate the conversation. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Take care. Have a good one. All right. Meat Eater Fishing Editor Sam Lundgren. Great stuff there. Uh, interesting conversation for sure. I think I've also gotten a little bit ill from eating undercooked trout before. Uh, yeah, no doubt I have. Uh, that segment of the show... Proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. My friends Josh and Becky will take care of you uh, when you harvest that wall-worthy animal or uh, maybe catch and release if you catch a 30-inch speckled trout on the coast, whatever, 10-pound bass, you name it, they do replicas as well. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Locations in San Antonio and Marion, by the way. Uh, Up next, we check in with our old friend Mark Borkman. Vortex Optics, Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. I'm Frankie. I'm Stella. And I'm listening to my dad. And the Lone Star Outdoor Store. When I was a kid, Uncle Remus had put me to bed. With a picture of Stonewall Jackson above my head. Then Daddy came in to kiss his little man. One of my all-time favorites there from the Gentle Giant, the pride of Floydata, Texas, the late great Don Williams. Good old boys like me. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. We're about to get into some optics discussion with our good friend Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics. Always a treat visiting with him. Probably mixed in some bear, maybe a little turkey hunting as well. Um, but before we do that, this segment is brought to you by First Light and the new Ash Gray lineup. You know, a muted tones, like like I've told you guys. In Africa, that's basically all you see the pH is wearing. They, they love muted tones. And First Light certainly understands um, that there is a need for that option. So from the backcountry to the bar, check it out. It's Ash Gray. You can find it. At firstlight.com, first light, go further, stay longer. 
All right. Um, well, let's bring him on right now, Mark Boardman, VP of Marketing for Vortex Optics. Mark, it's great to have you back on the show, man. No, I appreciate it, Cable. Yeah, these are, these are always fun ones, man. Always always love chatting with you. Yeah, I honestly couldn't tell you how many times you've been on, but uh, certainly one of our uh, more regular guests, no doubt about that. Um, much like myself, you know, we were talking off the air. You figured out that you'd be a, a pretty horrible kindergarten teacher. Uh, that's one thing that lockdown has also taught me. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Learned learned really quickly that not a kindergarten teacher. Uh, my respect to all teachers and kindergarten teachers, and you think like, oh, you know, it's basic stuff, man. That's a uh, that's a special person. That's a kindergarten teacher. So anyway, my my respect goes out to him, and my thanks goes out to him. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. My, mine's in first grade, and it's like, you know, I, I I feel bad for him half the time. He's getting upset, and there's been tears, and and voices are being raised. But it's it's uh, it's a lot to ask a kid to sit in front of a computer and do like school on in that setting at home when they'd rather be jumping on the trampoline or out shooting their BB gun or whatever. Um, I think school they learn a lot in school, right? But at some point, you just have to accept that it's great childcare. I mean, that's how our society functions. That's how all the parents get to go to work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, you know, and, and it'd be a little bit different. I think everybody's adjusting and, and doing the best they can, right? No matter, uh, I mean, the the tendrils of our current, you know, you know, I guess state of affairs, you know, and and the effects that it's having is just so far-reaching, right? And there's just nobody that's not being affected by it in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, and it's, and it's adjustment for kids too, and and uh, and so it's. Uh, it's you know challenging, but I think uh, everybody's just working working through it. Yeah, well, they they teachers certainly need a raise. They're underpaid. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> no doubt. Um, well, as far as you personally, how has this affected your your spring hunting? Um, I, I've had a couple things go up in flames, uh, uh, an axis deer hunt, and and then a couple turkey hunts. People that were supposed to come didn't come. I ended up still going on them, but. Uh, from the hunting standpoint, uh, you know, I've been taking the the kids to the deer lease every other weekend, it seems. Uh, so I've still been able to get outdoors quite a bit. No, that's fantastic, man. And, and you know, and what what better way to, to keep your distance from other folks than, than being able to enjoy the great outdoors. And it's good to see a few states, you know, relaxing some of those things as mm-hmm. long as people are being responsible. And, and uh, which I think, you know, I think letting people have some accountability there and, and trusting them to do that is, is, uh, is a super positive thing and, you know, and can really improve people's mindsets. As far as me, you know, personally, um, still got some spring bear plans up in the air, kind of, again, kind of, you know, checking back in with, you know, state regulations and, and out of state, uh, hunts and things like that. I, I, personally, I fouled up. We were, uh, kind of caught in the middle of this on a, on a spring, uh, on uh, spring break with our kids mm-hmm. and it kind of became critical like hey we should probably try and get back home to make sure we can we can get back home so we were dealing with things like that and and man i tell you what this one's on me because i never forget things like that but our our leftover turkey tags went on sale and uh, i missed the first day of that so i didn't get uh, a turkey tag uh for uh for a unit that i like to hunt that's close to home here oh man and they kind of go on. It's kind of convoluted. If if you if you do it right, it's probably the best system a turkey hunter could ever ask for. I mean, you can get 
you know, a bunch of tags in your pocket. Pocket. If you do it wrong, like I did, then uh, you're going to end up with less tags in your pocket. So I've got I've got a handful of tags for the latter seasons. I'm actually going to go out uh, this Saturday. I took Monday off, and I'm going to hunt Monday as well. So I've got I've got um, hmm. uh, two tags for different units for this upcoming season, and one for the following season. So I should should be able to get out. But uh, well, I'm not going to uh, say that uh, Wisconsin's doing it wrong, but I prefer the Texas method where I give them. $55 and they give me a hunting license that has four tags on it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd go for that. that. That works. I like that system. That sounds... Uh... <laughs> Every year. Here's your four turkey tags. You can hunt, you can shoot four Rios or three Rios and one Eastern, but uh, that's really the only uh, parameter that is set is you can only harvest one Eastern in Texas. Other than that, they just say go for it. That's cool. Yeah. Nope. And, that, and that's nice. You know, we talk about you know, barriers to entry into hunting, right? And and the kind of the, the regulations that can be complex can be one of those barriers. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, heck, you know, I've, I've lived it my entire life and you, you still miss a deadline or you still have to really check a rule or sometimes call game and fish to be like, what does this mean? You know, so um, that's cool. That it sounds like they've simplified that process for, for you guys over there. Yeah. So are you pro- um, predominantly chasing Rios or Easterns in, in Wisconsin? Y'all are central time zone, so... I'm just thinking so we've geographically. Got, yeah, so we've got Easterns. Um, okay. That's kind of throughout the entire state. That's the species of turkey uh, that we have. And in my home state of Washington, which I often talk about, uh, we've got actually Easterns, which are on the west side of the state. And then uh, we have uh, Rios and Merriams on, on the east side of the state. So a person could darn near get pretty close to their slam uh, in an entire season. Huh, that's awesome. Where where are your guys' Easterns located then? Uh, the closer you get to Louisiana, like East Texas, um, there's a I think it's like if you go east of 35, your chances of finding one or like this is just geographically in Texas like increase significantly. But yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a maligned species here. They've they've done lots of reintroduction um, projects. Texas Parks and Wildlife has invested a lot of time, energy, and money into bringing them back and and so it's nice to see that you know they they are at a huntable level um but yeah they're there's a it's so weird right because we don't have easterns in the western part of texas yet washington is you know um in the pacific northwest and you have easterns up there it's crazy we we do you know and, and i again like i haven't lived there for a long time and i've only seen I've only seen birds on the west side of the state on two occasions. Like I said, I don't get back there as much as I'd like anymore. But um, but then they're kind of, you know, I, I think they're more isolated pockets. And, and I think a person, you know, they, they definitely know their stuff if they kill one of that species on, uh, you know, in that state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So what about that bear hunt you were talking about? Uh, I think you had plans to possibly head up to Alaska. So, well, I made it to Alaska, I want to say, what, last spring, and that was a phenomenal hunt. I actually got to use a prototype of a scope that we're going to talk about uh, hopefully a little bit later on uh, in this segment. But, yeah, I mean, that that was an amazing southeast Alaska bear hunt. Um, you know, the bears are on, on the beaches. It's a, it's a spring hunt. They're, you know, rolling rocks, eating crabs, eating kelp. Uh, and, you know, getting there, getting there, eating a lot of grass, eating a lot of grass in the bays, um, and getting, getting their systems on track. So we saw a number of bears and I was able to 
shoot a nice one and had an amazing time with some some good buddies um and get to get to test out you know like i said a prototype of uh, a really really cool rifle scope this year actually i plan on using that same rifle scope but you know possibly some montana or idaho things that are a little bit in flux right now and is that because you can't get back to alaska well, yeah, I don't have a tag for Alaska this year for where we went before. That was that was a draw hunt, okay. but uh, I I do have it for next spring though. The way their draw cycle works, I I was able to draw it for uh, for next spring. So be heading back up there and and hopefully have uh, another great time in in the uh, in the great Tongass National Forest. Awesome. And uh, and then actually I've hunted I guess north of Ketchikan on on. Uh, I guess a really small island. We did a DIY hunt uh, up that direction where we uh, sh- actually shipped up a 10 foot four inflate- inflatable with a 25 horse Yamaha, got ferried to a forest service cabin, dropped off. Uh, really, really cool remote hunt. Uh, we almost flipped the boat, which was uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, looking back. I'm like, wow. I mean, like we, like we would have been dead. Like there's like no question, like we would have been dead. So, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm glad we lived, but um, we, uh, where we got dropped off, uh, we had maybe possibly some old intel on the area because we saw bears every day, but they were just brown bears. We didn't see a single black bear in an entire week of hunting. And our range wasn't that great with that small of a craft and three folk, uh, you know, three grown men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even getting the, the boat to plane was uh, kind of uh, an interesting exercise to be able to zip along. But it was a cool hunt, great adventure. So only brown bears, though. That's uh, that. I went uh, black bear hunting in Montana one time, and we saw a few black bears. Certainly saw more grizzlies than we did. Uh, you uh, did black bear, yeah. And uh, it was up around Kalispell, and yeah, I was like, man, uh, it's kind of that was my first time being in grizzly country. You know, like your senses yeah. are heightened. Don't want to run into mama bear there with a couple cubs. That's for sure. No, no, you definitely don't, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know for, for me, you know, I, I actually haven't seen a, a grizzly before in the lower 48. Uh, and I mean, I guess it'd be cool, but I'm also okay. Not, I mean, I'm not saying that they don't have a place on the landscape, but my experience with, with brown bears up in Alaska, you know, I've been around them a handful of times and sometimes at, you know, pretty close distances and they just don't seem to care. I mean, they are king of that jungle and, mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't know, man, they, uh, they, they definitely deserve a lot of respect. That's for sure. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Um, well, so let's talk about that, that scope that you took on that, uh, on that hunt last year. Imagine that it was the, the new, uh, Razor LHT. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's the new Razor Razor HD LHT. The LHT stands for Light Hunter Tactical. So, um, man, I tell you what, for for a hunting rifle scope for a person who wants to go through the process of getting accurate ballistic data to where they're going to dial longer range longer range shots and, and extend their effective hunting range, man, um, it's the perfect scope for me. I can say that uh, the the zoom range, you know, a three to fifteen. I think a lot of folks go, oh man, a long range scope, three to fifteen. Is that going to be enough? And I, I mean, I can say that we've effectively shot, you know, fifteen power scopes out to a thousand and and even beyond. In which, you know, at least for me, realistically, is probably even you know considerably further than uh, what I'm personally, you know, my personal comfort zone mm-hmm. of, of shooting at a big game animal. But you know, certainly eight hundred yards, eight hundred yards and in, you know, which is still that's 
that's long shooting. Um, I'd be, I'd be pretty darn, pretty darn comfortable with that scope. Um, the optics in it are, are absolutely stunning. Just phenomenal, phenomenal optics. Uh, it's got uh, a new reticle, uh, our HSR 5i reticle. Um, it's a very clean reticle, uh, but there's also a lot of uh, data. So it's, it's, a, it's a hash marked uh, mill or MOA based uh, reticle. So again, uh, if a person wants to uh, hold off their reticle versus dialing, they can certainly do so uh, with uh, that system. Mm-hmm. So I have a, uh, well, who knows if this is going to happen, right? But Cape Buffalo hunt end of July in South Africa. And I'm looking for a, a good scope to put on a 375 Ruger, which I'm about to acquire. Do you think this would be a, a good fit for that? You know, I I think it would. You know, you've got... Um, it's a pretty lightweight you know, scope, right? Yeah, it, it's a lightweight scope. I think it's coming in at about uh, 19.1 ounces with the version that you have. Uh, it's, a, it's a, like I said, 315 by 42, 30 millimeter tube. Uh, and, uh, so again, yeah, for how feature rich the scope is, it's, it's a lightweight scope. You've got that, uh, you know, you're probably not going to be taking, uh, you know, too long range of shots on the Cape Buffalo. So that's why that having that, uh, low end of three power is going to be an, an, an asset, you know, in that, that closer distances or, or where you may encounter Cape Buffalo or, um, you know, anything else for that matter. I, I always say with this scope, you know, if you want to go sit sit in the tree and, and shoot a whitetail at, at 50 to a hundred yards or, or, or still hunt in the timber where you're going to encounter, you know, game at closer ranges. It's the perfect scope for that. But if you need to, you know, stretch it a little bit and, and reach out, you certainly have that capability. Um, and, and so, and we can get into some of the turrets in a, in a minute here, but I do want to hear a little bit more about this Cape Buffalo hunt. Oh man. It's uh it's pretty high up on my, my bucket list, you know, I've always said if I could shoot anything anywhere, you know, money tags, not a concern, I would go for the sheep slam, you know, North American sheep slam. But Cape Buffalo is is right there, um, you know, clawing at the heels of those as as far as something that's always been uh, on my bucket list. And you know, if you've read oh, Capstick or any of uh, Hemingway's uh, stuff on on Africa, I mean, it's it's just a I mean, it's the thing of, of of lore, right? Like the Black Death, hunting it on the Dark Continent. Um, a lot of nostalgia and history there for me. And uh, and so, yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this hunt for a long time. It's been planned for a couple years. And whew, I've actually been on one Cape Buffalo hunt. My buddy shot one the first time I ever went to Africa. And uh, and I've said I've told this story on the air before, but um, I, I think it's worth telling again you know, your, your buddies with your pH and everyone's slapping each other on the ass and high-fiving throughout your safari, you know, just having a great time. And, and then someone says, we're going to hunt one of the big five. And, uh, because it's a very somber experience at that point. Like the pHs don't even carry guns until it's time to, to chase Buffalo or lion or something like that. And they get out there, they call them two pipes, you know, uh, double barrels and, and, and the big bullets, um, things in the 400s, and then they give you, you know, a little talk and say, "Hey, step where I step. Don't talk unless I unless I talk to you." And um, yeah, it's a life and it's a life and death deal. I mean, it can be. It's uh, it's dangerous, and and I think that's why it's uh, you know equally as 
appealing to me. I like that. And and you like hunting things that can kill you too. Obviously, you love bear hunting, so <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, there's something not right in our heads, but uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think it's uh, you know, in a lot of ways, even though you know some animals, you know, might be more dangerous than others, um, you know, you still have a love for those animals and, and want to interact with them and 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 be uh, uh, you know, live in their world. And like you said, you know, you're hunting something like Cape Cape Buffalo, and all of a sudden it takes on a a much more serious note, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not not that it's not um that you're not going to enjoy yourself, but you know, it, it is serious business and. And, uh, yeah, you want to have the proper equipment, to, you know, to get you, get you home safe and, and have a good experience doing that. But you're right, man, those animals, you know, you probably grew up reading about them and those stories. And like you said, there's just such a romantic quality and, and the history and, and they are, you know, just, you know, we're talking about animals that deserve respect and just, you know, powerful and, and, uh, part of, you know, the history of that country and, and uniquely, you know, uniquely their own. And, and, uh, man, that's, that's a cool one. So hopefully, man, hopefully, uh, you'll get to, you know, move forward with that trip and everything goes off, uh, pretty seamless. Yeah. I talked to the PH, uh, I talked to Carl on Monday and they're expecting international travel to, uh, to pick back up here, hopefully by, by, uh, the middle of June. So still gives us a, a, you know, a month and a half after that. I don't know. He also said though, that Africans, you think about a third world country and, and who knows about the, the testing that's going on there for, for COVID-19, but he said that their bodies are just used to more um, germs and pathogens just from living in a third world country and especially in the more poverty stricken areas that, you know, maybe their immune systems are, are more equipped to deal with something like this because they just haven't had the, the number of deaths and positive cases that, uh, you know, certainly we've seen here in the United States. So, that was his own personal thought, anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, thought or hypothesis, um, you know, and 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 hopefully that is the case, right? Yeah. Um, goodness, you know, like I said, the 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 effects of this have been, you know, pretty pretty far reaching, and uh, I think there's obviously still a lot a lot people don't know and a lot we need to learn. Getting, you know, I kind of mentioned the turt. Sorry, bringing it back to uh, hey, let's talk about rifle scopes. Yeah. But I guess I guess you're talking to to the uh, you know a guy from an optics company. So <laughs> that. But but the the turrets on the scope, you know, we're talking about getting your ballistic data and, and shooting at longer ranges. Um, the turrets on the scope are are super special. So you actually have a capped windage turret, so mm-hmm. um, it, it helps maintain the scope's uh, lightweight design, uh, sleek build for for a hunting setup. Um, and, and realistically, in a hunting scenario, you're just not you're not going to dial your wind. So you don't you don't even have to worry about it. You know you'll zero the scope as as you normally would with any rifle scope. You know you're going to get get your wind dialed in to get your zero. But then after that, you know any any uh, any wind holds. You know most likely you're gonna you're gonna do off the reticle. But the elevation turret is is special on this one. It's it's a pop up and down locking turret. Like I said, you can get an uh, an, an MOA scope where you're going to have an MOA turret and an MOA reticle, or you can get the mill-based version, which will have a mill turret and a mill-based reticle. So those things are going to match up. It's a pop-up and down locking system. So when you want to be on your zero, you know, you, you don't have to be mindful of that turret spinning in the field, or you throw it in a gun case, or, or a rifle scabbard on a horse. Like, it's just going to stay put all the time. You know, you get to that point where you, you range something, five, six, seven, eight hundred yards, whatever that shot is, pop that turret up, dial the appropriate amount of elevation, 
and uh, and let her rip, and and you should be spot on. Um, I should also note uh, the reticle in the center. It actually has a uh, a quarter MOA center dot, right? So a super fine center dot uh, aiming point there, um, which illuminates as well. So uh, the the scope has an uh, an illumination system. Uh, it's integrated into the left side of the parallax. It's it's a push button design. Uh, the button is is easy to to uh, to 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 access mm-hmm. and also like easy to push. It's like I wouldn't say it's like oversized, but it's not like some small button that you got to find um, multiple intensity levels to to match uh, your lighting conditions. And and what I like about it though is, is like I was saying, it only illuminates that center dot, right? Mm. So just that that fine aiming point in the center. If you get into a situation like, you know, a uh, maybe a, a low light conditions and you've got a dark uh, dark background like uh, a cape buffalo perhaps yeah uh that's where that illumination uh, may come in super handy right on right on yeah i've got one ordered so it should be here pretty uh pretty quickly and i can't wait to get my hands on it uh mark certainly enjoying the conversation there's some other new stuff coming out from vortex i'd love to get into that as well are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes yeah man let's do it Right on, and that segment brought to you by the new Lone Star Beer Rio Jade Mexican-style lager. Enjoy a cold one with or without a lime. doesn't matter. It's both great ways, I can tell you from personal experience. It's the Rio Jade Mexican-style lager from Lone Star Beer. Uh, we'll be right back with more from our friend Mark Boardman of Vortex Hey guys, Cable here for QuietCat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. QuietCat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a QuietCat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, QuietCat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. I'm going to pay my dues, make up no excuse like I did before. Make it right with the Lord. I told the sheriff so black crow ain't a joke That's a jam right there. Brent Cobb, Black Crow, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for spending a part of your week with me. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club as well, of course, and Lone Star Beer. Um, We've still got our old pal Mark Boardman of Vortex Optics on the line. We're going to jump back into that conversation. Still uh, another 
optic specifically that I'm really excited about, um, which I'm about to get my hands on one. I think it's actually already been shipped from Vortex uh, headquarters. So we're going to talk about that here momentarily. And this segment is brought to you by Stealth Cam's DS4K Max trail camera. If you're looking for something with 4K technology that's the clearest images and video on the market, then you need to check out the DS4K Max. You can find it as well with Stealth Cam's entire lineup at stealthcam.com. Um, with that being said, Mark, thanks for sticking around through the break. I want to get into the new addition to a scope line that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, I have one of the early model Strike Eagles, and that thing is, it's taken a beating, and it still performs just like uh, you would expect a product from Vortex to do. But the new Strike Eagle has some cool features, and uh, I want to let you tell us a little bit about that right now. As long as we're kind of on the topic of long range, we just recently introduced our Strike Eagle uh, 5 to 25 by 56. Uh, and this is a purpose built, feature rich, I mean, fully featured, really, uh, long range rifle scope. It's awesome for, uh, you know, uh, folks who are doing like precision rifle shooting, precision rifle competition, just long range enthusiasts. Uh, if you're a long range shooter, um, this is this is going to be one to look at and and one thing of note is the price point that it comes in at you know it just it doesn't it's a high quality scope it's a feature rich scope but it it doesn't share the kind of that alpha class top tier price tag normally associated with a scope with these kinds of features like you know some of the ones you'd be talking about some of the razors uh uh amg stuff like that i mean you can spend two thousand dollars on those the this is not even half of that no so this guy it's 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 like i said it's a 525 by 56 it's got a 34 millimeter tube uh it's got an illuminated first focal plane reticle uh with our ebr 7c reticle so that's one of the one of the finest long range reticles in my opinion that's out there uh you got a ton of travel so you're looking at i want to say 110 moa of travel or 31 mils of travel, um, but it's going to retail for about 700 bucks, right? So mm -hmm. that's, you know, in general, you know, give or take, that's where a person's going to find that. And, and to your point, you know, that's, um, at least I know for me, a lot more within reach than, than some of those scopes that are definitely worth the money. You know, you look at a Razor HD Gen 2, four and a half to 27 by 56, which, uh, you know, I guess, when you look at if you were to compare those scopes, they've got a lot of similar features. But is it a better scope? Yeah, it certainly is. Mm -hmm. But man, you're getting a heck of a lot of scope with that Strike Eagle five to twenty-five by fifty-six. Seven hundred bucks, and and right now, and this is something cool, as uh, someone who's actually your wife is in the medical uh, field as well, and yep, so yep. my wife's a nurse practitioner, and so I, I know Vortex is giving back to those people who are helping us, you know, risking their own well-being uh, to help us through this trying time. 40% off for medical professionals, Mark. Yeah, you know, and that's just something that we want to do. Like you mentioned, you've got these, these frontline workers that are, are, you know, I guess, you know, risking their own health to make sure that we're staying as healthy as possible. And so that's something that we wanted to do. So for, yeah, kind of a, a limited time here, um, extending that 40% discount to, to medical professionals. And, and uh, you know, hopefully there's some folks that will, you know, be able to take advantage of it and, and benefit from it and, you know, get out and, 
you know, hunt and shoot and, you know, enjoy, uh, enjoy their recreational optics uh, and, and get a little bit of uh, a price break on them at the same time. Yeah. And that, that actually goes through, I think the, towards the end of June. So people have yep. a, a little bit of time, maybe get that next paycheck and uh, get the strike Eagle for, I mean, 700 is already a smoking deal and 40% off of that, you know, just giving them away. There so, you go. There yeah. you go. I think, yeah, we, we're definitely in some stressful times, so hopefully folks can get in a little range therapy afterwards. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm getting my son a, a 17 uh, HMR. It's been ordered. Um, what uh, what scope would you recommend for uh, for that little plinkster? You know, there's probably a lot of really good ones. Um, one that I'd, I'd take a hard look at would be uh, the Diamondback Tactical. Uh, mm-hmm. first focal plane rifle scope again it's kind of it's it's a feature rich scope uh you know that 17 hmr that's a fun cartridge you can shoot it a lot i've ordered this gun i think dad's going to be shooting it as much as him we've got we got a little prairie dog infestation that uh i think it would be fun to uh, take some longer shots at oh man yeah that's i if you if that's what if that's kind of what you have in mind then i'd certainly Take a hard look at that uh, that Diamondback Tactical for focal plane. That, that'd be a that'd be a fun combination for sure. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, I think as we're wrapping things up here, the other the other thing we need to mention is the Vortex Wear. Uh, you know, you guys have always had cool T-shirts and apparel, hoodies and hats, but uh, kind of taken taken that a step further with the uh, the launch of Vortex Wear here in uh, the spring of uh, 2020. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a super fun one. You know, I mean, I think uh, you know, the hunting and and, and fishing and shooting and the, and the outdoors. I mean, those are those are definitely lifestyles, right? And so that's one thing that we wanted to uh, embrace on our end was was the lifestyle apparel and, and design and and create some um, some pieces that that are you know right in line with that. Um, so yeah, if, if a person has a need for a, a new sh- a shirt or shorts or you know quarter zip, I take a take a hard look at some of the new Vortex apparel. It's really cool stuff. I know we're really enjoying it, and uh, and it's been uh, oh I love really it. Cool to see that kind of uh, uh, develop over the last couple of years. Yeah, and uh, and so I don't know if that discount code applies for the for the apparel stuff, but um, it does. It does. Cool. Yeah, it will for sure. Cool. Well, and it's also worth mentioning we have a a 20% off code on all of the apparel uh, just through through the Lone Star Outdoor Show, and it's uh, Lone Star 20. Uh, that'll get you 20% off, and that sale is uh, is going on in perpetuity, so no uh, no sunset date on that. So be sure to remember that when you are checking out uh, the, the great Vortex Wear lineup. Do that. I do want, if you've got one more second, I forgot oh, yeah. the major feature of, the, of both those two uh, – the Strike Eagle and Razor HD LHT actually share, and I, and I want to touch on that because it's sure. a RevStop Zero system. So both these both these scopes have a hard stop that you can super easy to set. If you know righty tighty lefty leasy, you can set this zero stop in really a matter of minutes. Once you once you get the scope sighted in, uh, it actually the stop is uh, five clicks below your zero, which actually allows you to engage closer shots if need be. But it's a hard stop. It's a it's a positive stop. You're not going to lose track of your turns, um, and that's just a really another really cool feature of that turret system. Uh, our engineers, I, I can't even imagine the amount of work that went into designing something that works so well and is actually so simple. Well, it's simple to set. It's probably not simple actually how it works. But uh, those those are some pretty smart guys. So my hat goes off to those. Yeah, guys, uh, yeah. Thanks for coming it down for us. 
guys. Yeah, exactly. Are, <laughs> yeah, that's why I can use it. The guys in the lab coats. Yep, appreciate them. <laughs> but uh, that, that was one thing I wanted. I didn't want to uh, leave without mentioning that because that's a cool one. And we've got some videos on the website that folks can check out to see how that works. Perfect. Well, man, I certainly appreciate your time, Mark. Excited about all the new stuff and uh, can't wait to get that uh, LHT on that 375 and hopefully get over to the dark continent with it. Oh, man, I hope so. I hope so. You're going to love it. So, well, good luck out there and, and, and travel safe. Uh, and, uh, no, man, can't thank you enough, Cable. It's always, it's always good. Enjoyed it, man. Take care. All right. Take care, man. Talk soon. All right. Our good friend, Mark Boardman, VP of Marketing from Vortex Optics. And uh, I think we taped that conversation like midweek. By the time it actually aired, Mark had already tagged two turkeys. So he's having a, a great season up there in Wisconsin. Uh, congrats on the birds. You can see them on his Instagram page as well. That segment of the show brought to you by our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I invite you to check us out because this group of hunters are passionate about conservation, education, and hunters' rights. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. Unfortunately, uh, just looking at the clock, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, Mark, as well as Sam Lundgren, uh, meat eater, fishing editor. We will do it again, same time, same place next week. Want to thank all of our sponsors as well. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I miss your smile, miss your touch I miss your small town way of love I miss the way my life was spent And every day was heaven sent